Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. College basketball. From Division I to Division Three, Some of the best college basketball in the country is played right here in Wisconsin. Let's talk about it now with Don Wachillas. This is the College Basketball Show on Sports Radio 105.7 FM. The Fan. Once again, welcome in. It's the College Basketball Show right here on 105.7 FM, The Fan. Don Wichel is alongside the professor, Dan Underberg, and the pipe bomb is in the house. Hello, Jeff Orlowski is with us (laughs) this afternoon. I, I was shocked when I walked in. It's the greatest day in stock car racing. And you, Jeffrey, and my buddy Tom Wren, two of the biggest race fans that I know, the last person. I expected to be with us today. I thought you'd be somewhere in a bunker with 12 TVs going right now, sir. Well, there is no show that I would work today with the exception (laughs) of this one. So you guys know I love you. I wouldn't work any other show but this one. All right, Dan, step outside, get the can out, start collecting coins because we owe him some money for coming in on this Sunday. Well, he called us the world's greatest basketball show, too. It's take, two, yeah. take two jars out there. Yes. With that one. All right, we got a big show coming up today here on the College Basketball Show. We'll talk with Eric Haslam from Haslametrics at around 1220. We'll be joined by head coach Sean Cassidy from Concordia University of Wisconsin as they are co-champions of the regular season in the NACC along with MSOE. And then a little bit later on this hour, we'll talk with head coach Megan Wilson from the University of Wisconsin-Platteville as they get ready for postseason tournament. We've got a lot to talk about that at the top of the next hour as there's a lot of conference tournaments coming up beginning this week. So there's going to be a lot of good basketball on the college side in the midst of this lapse, shall we say, with Wisconsin and Marquette having a few days off and potentially as Marquette is taking on Seton Hall right now, we may end up talking with head coach Carolyn Keeger uh, during their postgame set after that Big East matchup. So hopefully uh, Coach Keeger will have an opportunity to call in after the 1 o'clock hour as Marquette, as I just alluded to, is playing Seton Hall. They're up at the half, and we'll keep you posted on that score. Um, Dan, one of the stories this week, there's two stories I want to get to here at the top of this 12 o'clock hour with the fact that we've had some downtime right now between Wisconsin and Marquette having this extended break mm-hmm. um, in the midst of the season, which is great for them. I mean, it's it's a good time to get healthy. It's a good time to kind of shore up some things on the academic side with your student athletes. I mean, but as a fan, it's awful. I miss, <laughs> I miss not having Marquette and Wisconsin playing on a more regular basis. But that being said, one of, one of the things that I was reading this week was an article uh, by Tom Oates. 
And Tom Oates was eluding to. There's that word again. I keep going back to it. (laughs) It's your Um, word. It's my word. Embrace it. Yeah, I'm going to have to (laughs) as many times as I use it. Um, Talking about Diamond Stone and Henry Ellenson, and it got me to thinking, especially with Henry Ellenson, this would have been his senior season. Henry is one of the few players to ever really go to Marquette and become a one-and-done. And Henry being uh, drafted by the Pistons in the first round, 16th, 17th overall, however that worked out a couple of years back, this would have been his senior season. And I kept thinking after reading this article, had Henry Ellison stayed with Marquette? Now, the article talks about somewhat of the pitfalls that can happen if you leave college early and what will take place in the NBA. And, Dan, you and I were just kind of speaking off the air. I I don't have a great deal of um, sympathy for Henry Ellenson from the fact that – I'm sorry he got cut. That that has nothing to do with it. But he was collecting about $1.7 million a year right. here in the last three years. So if, if we've been good with our paycheck – Mm-hmm. we're sitting with a bank account that should sustain us for quite, quite a while. Some time, yeah. Right. But let's go back to the fan perspective side of things. And uh, Henry Ellenson on this Marquette team has it currently stands with Sakar Annam, with Marcus Howard, with Joey and Sam Hauser. I mean, Joey Hauser being a freshman would probably be relegated to a role off the bench with Henry Ellenson on the floor. Mm-hmm. We've been talking the last couple of weeks thinking that eh, there's an outside chance we might be looking at a team that could find themselves towards the final four. You add Henry Ellenson to this team, and you're talking about a not only a final four team, you're talking about a Marquette team maybe in the same breath as you're talking about Duke right now with Zion Williamson and seeing those two go head-to-head in a potential national championship matchup. Yeah, that's the uh, that's the fun of being sports fans is you yes, can sir. you can speak in, in hypothetics and, and have these conversations. It would it would be interesting to kind of to kind of you know get that crystal ball going and see exactly what could happen with Henry Ellenson in that mix. Um, I I tend to be of the mind kind of thinking about this after we talked about it a little bit and thinking about yeah if we have Henry Ellenson then then we don't get Theo John and Theo John has progressed nicely. He wasn't he wasn't NBA talent. When he came in as a freshman, he may not be there yet, but he's progressing every year. You know, we don't get Ed Morrow Jr. We're, we're kind of – we Marquette has the team that has got them to the top ten, and in the process of doing that, any anytime that Henry was playing for that one year Marquette, they weren't there yet. So I, I'm with you, Don. It's I think it's one of those cautionary tales, and it, I don't have a solution to this because if someone – is is waving a multi-year NBA contract in my face and you're going to be a first-round selection. And the thought process goes, yeah, but what if you get hurt and you lose this opportunity? You The, the tendency, kind of the pressure, is to take that. And, you know? And Tom Oates goes in, uh, pipe bomb, talking about neither Ellenson or Stone has the talent really to develop into a long-term NBA player. So they may be doomed to play in the G League. They might be doomed to play overseas. But you're looking at two guys, again, if, and that's always the big question, if they took care of their finances, your initial contract that you signed coming into the NBA is going to be enough to sustain you at least for a little while. Yes, you're not going to make Michael Jordan-type money or LeBron-type money, money, excuse me, or Giannis-type money where it's generational, but yet you're going to hopefully have enough that can sustain you, and if – 
what you do is play basketball, and that's still what you're doing for a living. I just, I, yeah, I would have loved to see, and I want to get to this next, both of those players sustain themselves at the college level. But I really, I, I, I don't have a whole lot of empathy when you made that jump and you went after the paycheck because, in essence, that's kind of what the American dream is. Absolutely, that's what the American dream is. If they were smart, both of them have a large enough nest egg where they can play overseas, live off that paycheck, which isn't too shabby either, right. and then just keep the money in here investing and growing. So, you know, neither one of them should be hurting anytime soon. But like you said, I think both of them definitely cost themselves money in the long run by taking the quick payday. And obviously I'm a total hypocrite because if that was my kid, I'd go now, go now, go now, get paid. You know, I would tell them to take the money. But, you know, it, it seems like they definitely cost themselves multi-millions of dollars. All right, so let's take the same scenario we did, gentlemen, with Henry Ellenson here locally and what would life be like had he maintained his uh, collegiate eligibility and maintained himself with Marquette. What about Diamond Stone? Had things turned out where he would have been with the Badgers? Obviously goes to Maryland for a year, opts out of Maryland after the first year. But let's, because we're dealing with Wisconsin, let's put Diamond Stone in a Badger uniform and allow the progression to take place from his freshman to senior season at a place like Madison. And if I'm wrong, do we have an Ethan Happ or Frank Kaminsky in our hands where skill sets are developed over time and then his stature going into the NBA draft and his tenure then at the NBA level would have been a little bit better than the circumstances that we're seeing right now. I don't know. And here's why it's it, you again, we're basing this on the assumption that he is going to automatically progress from year one to year four and do those things. If he doesn't progress or if he doesn't progress as quickly as either NBA scouts or NBA media expect him to progress moving forward, then he could still be as good as he was when he graduated from high school and a potential NBA, or not obviously not from high school, but that year at Maryland. Right. But he could still be that good. But if he's not seeing as competing against Big Ten or NCAA talent and doing what he was expected to do, kind of the way we expected Zion Williamson to progress, but if he doesn't meet that or he runs into some roadblock, then he runs a chance of not being drafted anyways. You know, we 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 kind of look at it from from the perspective of yeah, he's just going to just naturally get better. There are plenty of bas there's plenty of stories of basketball talent in the NCAA where that freshman comes in and they just plateau. They just got to where they were, and they don't get any better. So, I I think about you know kind of um, Rashard Griffith years ago. I'm dating myself a long time ago, and yeah. he was the big center to play. Um, this is you know, probably 20 years ago now. We were surprised to get him. And and he got better over time, but he never progressed into NBA talent, and people were just assuming that he was going to get to that point. And the other part of it is, is, again, looking at Diamond Stone, was he really a fit for the Badgers? Even they were trying so hard to get him because of his physical talents. I mean, weight, size, strength. Was he really the type of player that was going to excel in a Badger system? See, and I think <sighs> that's exactly where he would have excelled, Dan, is in the Badger system, the style of basketball that the Badgers play. It's it's that style now that has transcended, not from the Badgers, 
But the style of basketball pipe bomb that's being played in the NBA right now, I think, is one of the reasons why he's having such a difficult time of transitioning out of the G League into or at, shall I say, the NBA level is because we've essentially come to know the NBA a lot like we watch Giannis right now. Tall, 6'11", 6'10", 6'11", swing guys. Everybody's playing the fork and handle the ball, shoot from the outside, obviously make their way to the rim, where Diamond Stone is a traditional NBA seven-foot post player, and the NBA is not playing that game right now, which is why I think Henry Ellenson has a better shot of regaining some stature within the NBA and landing on a team because he can shoot. He reminds you of Sam and Joey Hauser, what we're watching at Marquette right now, where Diamond Stone is just that traditional seven-foot center, give me the rock on the post, and I'll spin, I'll dunk, I'll rebound, I'll do those things, and that's just not what the NBA is anymore. Yeah, I would have more faith in the Badgers coaching staff to coach up Diamond Stone than I would for Marquette to coach up Ellenson. And I know that that's probably a bad thing to say, considering Marquette's number 10 and everybody around here is loving them now. I think that the Badgers coaching staff does does more with less, and Marquette does less with more. Uh, and that could just be because the Big East is so awful this season. And, you know, it's great that Marquette's having a, having a great year. If Ellenson was still on this team, they'd be running away with the Big East. But... Um, but yeah, I would I would think that, you know, they would be able to teach him more of the modern NBA, more moves to make him look better and to better translate his game than what he's learning in the G League, which is is junk. And you know, the talent in the G League is does not even hold a candle to the NBA. It's you know, it is their minor leagues, but it is so far below. Mm-hmm. You know, that's like single A going straight to the major leagues. It's tough. It's tough to go down there and learn. It is. And you've got to be in the right system, Dan. No matter what your position is, you have to land within an organization that has coaches, and we'll use the G League since that's kind of where we're at right now. Even at the collegiate level, you've got to have coaches who develop your game. Some coaches are great X and O coaches and will put you on the floor and utilize the talent that you have and maximize that talent for that particular system and flowing X's and O's, you know, every which way. But you're going to need at some point somebody to be able to pull you aside and elevate your game in many instances to the next level. And that's where I think the fear of where Diamond Stone is at right now is that you're down in the G League and who's really developing these finer points of your skill set in order to help you elevate your game and get yourself back into the NBA. Well, there's such a high level of turnover in the G League, and in addition to that, just the coaching and everything that kind of goes with it. And you're you're in a reactionary zone where there's only, as a player, there's only what you can control, what you can control, your improvement, your attitude, all those things. But then you get into a system where, and remember, it's all part of the NBA system, so that G League team is designed to supplement and support the NBA team that's above it. Well, if that NBA team is struggling and all of a sudden you have a coaching change and a leadership change and a guy brings in a new system, that's going to have a domino effect all the way down. And you could be you could be excelling, and all of a sudden you're still out of a job because you don't fit the system that works. So Diamond Stone is walking in, and, and I agree with you. He's more of the, the traditional I won't say Moses Malone type center because that's not fair. That's but really date. You yeah, went really Richard Griffin and <laughs> Moses Malone in the last Let me go back minutes. and talk about you know, Daryl Dawkins <laughs> a little bit. But, you know, well, 
just talking about the whole concept of, of what his skill set is. And I, I'm with you. He's got to have the ability and he's got to have the coaches to help him grow. Yep. I think he's also got to have the want to grow. Is it, or is he looking at just this is who I am and this is what I do and these are my talents and this is this is it. And if, if that isn't there for those players, they're not going to go anywhere. There, there's a lot of factors that come in. And unfortunately, when you look throughout the collegiate ranks each and every season, you have young men. And nowadays with the WNBA, young women who mm-hmm. leave the collegiate ranks to go to the pros thinking that they're they're making their way to that next level where they're going to be the next future star to grace the hardwood and things don't always play out the way in your mind you A, imagine, or B, when people surrounding you start filling your head with A, B, C, and D, and then when you go, things don't necessarily happen the way they had uh predicted i guess i'll say it sure. that way we got to take a break on the other side of the break we're going to talk with our friend eric haslam from haslam metrics start looking at some of the analytics here with regards to college basketball as we start making our way ever so close to march madness we'll talk to eric next it's a college basketball show on a very special pipe bomb edition here <laughs> on the fan <laughs> Once again, welcome back in. It's the college basketball show right here on 105.7 FM. The fan, Don Wachillis, alongside the professor, Dan Underberg, and the Polish pipe bomb is in the house. Jeff Orlowski behind the table there, making sure everything flows nice and smooth as we make our way through two hours of college basketball here on the fan. We're going to jump right to the great Midwest Bank hotline. It's been a couple of weeks, but Eric Haslam, from Haslametrics is on line here to talk with us about some of the analytics side of college basketball. Eric, how you doing? Doing pretty good. How are you guys doing? Great to have you back on with us. All right, let's let's jump into one category, if we may, as as I'm looking at your site. And I was looking at it yesterday, and I had to go back on today going, really? Is that Okay. <laughs> Wisconsin. <laughs> Wisconsin <laughs> offensively is sitting at number 12. What am yep. I missing, Eric? <laughs> what am I missing? I'm looking at a team that can't figure out how to score for six, seven, eight-minute droughts, and they're sitting there at number 12, and I know a lot more goes into it. So with yeah. Wisconsin sitting at number 12, how does that all factor into where you have them in their standings? Well, you know, that's it, it's just, it just falls out that way. And, and you know what, like I said, it, it doesn't come down to wins and losses. All those performance ratings are all based on how a team performs versus how other teams perform against common opponents. And so over time, that's just kind of how they've been there. If you look at other analytics sites, there's sometimes I even question them and go, well, my eye test says Wisconsin's not quite as good as 12. But if you go out there to a few other analytics sites, they always kind of agree very much. So you kind of it, it, it doesn't always come out when you watch it on TV, but behind the scenes, um, it kind of gives you a different picture, and that's kind of what the analytics are all about to kind of give you a different viewpoint. Eric, with the rise in analytics over the last few years, regardless of the sport, if you were going to step back and say analytics should be thought of this as far as percent goes and momentum and the other factors that play into a game, would you be looking at analytics – 50-50, 60-40, 70-30. How would you, if you asked, would weigh things out in the course of a game? 
You know, I always, I, I, you know, a lot of analytics people will believe and say it's got to be 100% analytics. It should be 100% analytics. I don't agree with that. I'm, a, I'm very much a 50-50 guy when it comes to the analytics and the eye test because there are just certain things that you can't adjust for. Um, you know, for example, last year, a great example was the Bonzi Colson situation. If they want, if, if they want a seed, um, if had Notre Dame gotten into the tournament, they had to see them based on having Bonzi Colson there, and he wasn't there for a lot of the season. So analytics is, is will give you a very good clue. I would say analytics is like evidence of the crime scene. It's not an open and <laughs> shut case, but it gives you something to go off of, um, and it gives you a very, very objective viewpoint, whereas the eye test is very much um, you know, opinion-based. There's a reason you're not going to see a team like Houston in the discussion for a one seed right now because it's the eye test adjustment. You look at behind the scene of what a team like Houston has done. I was just discussing this with someone in the last hour. They're they're six and one versus quadrant one. Uh, excuse me, quadrant one. Twelve and one versus quadrants one and two. But yet they won't be in the conversation. The only reason I can think of it is that they the, the committee is going to say, well, they're in the AAC. They're not battle tested on a weekly basis like the Big Ten and the ACC are. And so I think no matter what Houston does, their ceiling is a two at the very highest. Okay, so. Let's go back to the crime scene a little bit because I want to use that analogy just a tad. I'm walking in, I, I'm the new detective. I'm I'm working my way through that, and you're you're my you're my lieutenant. You're showing me the way around, and I look and I look at the evidence, and I see I see teams like Duke and Virginia, and and going around there, and then I I look and I see Gonzaga right now, according to the offensive summary, is number one, and based on what we were just talking about, um, the fact in terms of who does Gonzaga play. And and how do they how do they rate against that? And then I see you know a team with Zion Williamson or Tennessee that finally lost a game since November twenty third. Um, take me through that process. How how does Gonzaga kind of right now find its way to number one? Well, what you do is again you always take a, a common point. So if Gonzaga played Florida, and you know Duke played Florida. You would have a, a comparison mm-hmm. there between Gonzaga and Florida, sure. and they, because they were playing the same defense in this situation, the Florida defense. And this is what happens: is you start out on day number two of the season with four comparisons or something like that, and then by day three, it's like nine or eleven. And by the time we get to this point in the season, there are just thousands and thousands of these uh, of these comparisons, and that's kind of how Gonzaga lines up. It's not necessarily who they play; it's just all these common comparisons are done and when you average them all out Gonzaga comes out ahead of everybody else and that's that's really what I like about this guys is that um, everything else it seems like when you're looking at the um, the coaches poll or USA Today or whatever it is it, it's it's always it's always eye test I love going to this website and, and seeing things that you don't expect you see again coaches poll AP poll you see things from a fan perspective this is not that this is completely different Yes, very much so. And I always kind of say to people, I always encourage people, I say, be the shepherd, don't be the sheep. Because so <laughs> many good people, <laughs> It's a groupthink mentality, especially in the mainstream. And this is why I, I, I like unveiling these these hidden gems. Like earlier in the season, they were, they've kind of cooled off a little bit now, but San Francisco was one team that we had very highly rated early on. And then all of a sudden, you, you, every, it happens every year. There's always a team like a San Francisco that we kind of say, wow, they are really performing like an elite team. And then about a month later, the mainstream kind of catches on and says, hey, have you seen these, these San Francisco guys? <laughs> well, I'd be like, yeah, I tweeted about it a month ago. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's a very much a, the mainstream is a very groupthink mentality, a very uh, sheep mentality a lot of the times. And 
I think there was just that fear of being wrong or looking stupid. And I look at it and go, hey, I'm, I, I crunch the numbers. This is what they say. You can yell at me, scream at me. Some people do. <laughs> <laughs> but that's okay. You know, that's, it's, I, I like being independent of that and, and doing it in a, un, a unique way, different from everybody else. On the Great Midwest Bank Hotline, we're talking with Eric Haslam from Haslametrics. Encourage everybody to go to haslametrics.com. It's just a wealth of information when we're looking at collegiate basketball at the Division One level throughout the United States. Eric, uh, Marquette right now, when I'm looking at your bracketology, you got them sitting at a three. Wisconsin is sitting at a five. So if you would talk about, at first, both of those teams, but my, my favorite question every time we have you on is, when you're looking at the bracketology, who has surprised you after you've put all the numbers in and somebody pops out and you go, really? Kind of what you were talking about with San Francisco there early on. Yeah. There's always a team or two that will pop up into your 1 through 16 rankings that I'm sure catches your eye and surprises you a little bit. Well, you know, it's, it's a lot of these uh, smaller schools. Like we talked about Houston, but, you know, another one that just keeps hanging around is Wofford. And nobody really hears about Wofford all that much, but this is a team with four losses on the year, and they're a top 15 offense. So right now, they're, you know, and what I do on my site is something called Bracketology Deserves. What you're going to see with most bracketologists is they're going to try to try to predict the committee. Well, in my opinion, you know, the committee, uh, we're trying to potentially predict an imperfect process. People say, well, Joe Lunardi or or Jerry Palm don't do very well they, they, in predicting the committee. Well, I'm like, well, if they were on the committee, these, then all of a sudden they'd be, you know, their picks would be the right answer as opposed to now they're so far off of the right answer because they're not on the committee. So, you know, it's, it, I, I don't know. It's, um, when it comes to this stuff, there's always going to be all these little guys like Wofford that come up. And, you know, I, I think the committee will never, ever give Wofford an eighth. I think we have them as an eighth right now. Right. And that's the difference between bracketology deserves. Bracketology deserves are, hey, I'm trying to figure out who is deserving of, quali- of, of qualifying for the tournament and, and where their seed is, whereas most other bracketologists are going through there and trying to pick what the committee is going to do. Yeah, and I'm, I'm looking at it right at this moment. And as you said, Wolford sitting at an eight. And I think if you had Wolford sitting there and if you had Florida, and I'm going back to what you were just saying, Eric, about the eye test, I think that's where the committee gets themselves into trouble sometimes is the fact that they'll throw Florida in because the other factors that come into play outside of basketball, meaning how many people are are going to be able to travel as opposed uh, with Florida and Wolford, how many people recognize Florida, the name keep, all of those factors that come into play. Let's backtrack a little bit. Talk for uh, a moment, if you would, please, about Wisconsin and Marquette and how you feel their seasons are progressing with regards to the fact that we're getting ever so close now to March Madness. Well, both of them, I think, have really overperformed from my my vantage point, especially Marquette. Marquette was supposed to be a pretty good team, but you know, what have they got at this point? Three losses still right now, three or four losses. Mm-hmm. Um, just it's really, really great season. Now, the analytics that I have aren't, you know, they've all never been a huge fan of Marquette. Um, it's just that they haven't really destroyed teams like a lot of a, a lot of other elite teams have done. Uh, but they have still really overperformed, really great season. But, you know, I look at the, the schedules for Marquette and Wisconsin, and with the exception of maybe Marquette's road game against Villanova, there isn't a game that I don't think that, that Wisconsin or um, Marquette should lose. I think they could possibly, you know, Wisconsin, I look at them. They got Illinois, Northwestern, Indiana, Penn State. 
these are not really great teams in the Big Ten right now. And then you got a home game against Iowa. You go at Ohio State. You're, you know, no, there's no Michigan left on the on the slate. There's no Michigan State. Mm-hmm. There's no Maryland. Um, you know, so this is a you know a chance for Wisconsin to make a nice run at the end of the season. Uh, Marquette very much the same. Although you know, I think a lot of Marquette's uh, opponents are a little bit weaker than the Big Ten opponents. Uh, you got that Villanova game in there, but besides that, I think right now, I think in our top fifty. We only have two Big East teams, and that's um, right now Villanova and Marquette. That's it. All right, Eric, so let's do the 50-50 test from your perspective. When you take your analytics and you take the eye test and mix them together, if we're talking about Marquette and Wisconsin and you had to project how far you think either of those teams will go as far as the NCAA tournament goes, where do you see them leveling out at? Well, I, you know, it's, that's a tough one to say because, uh, you know, it depends on the matchups. And, sure. you know, a part of me doesn't really trust Marquette, but the thing is, if Marcus Howard shows up like he has in those big games, there, there's nobody that's going to beat them. Um, but that's the thing. You have to rely on, on you know, the, the shooting game. If the Housers and Howard are hitting everything, they're going to go far. If they all of a sudden have a, an off game and you've seen it before, you know, I think back to the Indiana game. I still to this day don't understand how – this saw that text yeah or that, that tweet yeah, yeah. ever lost in indiana <laughs> this season by, by 23 considering how bad indiana is right now uh but no it, it it's hard to say if their shooting is on they're going to be able to go away so they're going to go there's definitely a sweet 16 team wisconsin um I'm, I'm just not sold on it yet i i you know i i think they're if they if you told me they're going to get out of the, the first weekend i'm gonna i'd be a little surprised to be honest with you Fair enough. Eric, always enjoy having you on. In a couple of weeks, we'll talk again. In a couple of weeks, we'll be marching ourselves right in the midst of March Madness and getting ready for the tournament. Always great to have you on. Go to Haslametrics.com. We'll talk to you in a couple of weeks, sir. All right. Thanks, guys. Eric Aslam, as I said, from Haslametrics.com, one of the great sources of information Mm -hmm. regarding college basketball that you'll find everywhere or anywhere, and it's always great to have him with us on the show. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk to head coach Sean Cassidy of Concordia University of Wisconsin as they share in the regular season championship with the NACC, and they're getting ready for some postseason action themselves. We'll get to it all next. It's a college basketball show right here on 105.7 FM, The Fan. Don't blame it on sunshine. Don't blame it on the moonlight. Don't blame it on the good times. Blame it on the boogie. Don't blame it on the sunshine. Once again, welcome back in. It's the college basketball show right here on 105.7 FM, The Fan. One of the local games being played right now, the women at Marquette lead Seton Hall 82-50 to as they go to the fourth quarter, and we'll keep you, as always, up to speed on that game. But we will jump right to the Great Midwest Bank hotline as we're pleased to be joined by the head coach at Concordia University of Wisconsin. It's Coach Sean Cassidy. Coach, how you doing? I'm doing great, thank you. Uh, it's great to have you on. First of all, Congratulations on a great regular season as you finish the regular season as co-champions of the NACC, and now you're getting yourself ready for that Final Four next week Saturday over at MSOE within the conference tournament. What changes 
from your perspective now as you have to get your team ready this week for that conference tournament. And now, as we all know, and one of the things as fans that we love about March Madness and tournaments on the collegiate basketball level is it becomes a one-and-done type atmosphere. Do things change much from your perspective as you try to get your team ready? No, we've been playing a lot of big games this year. So our guys are prepared for uh, – you know, those kind of atmospheres and those type of situations. The biggest thing is having a week off. Uh, that's going to be the hardest thing to plan for is uh, keep our emotions in check for the, the next few days in preparation for Saturday. We've been on such a crazy schedule with all the snow and uh, delays and, and rescheduling that we played three games in four days. So now having a full week off, we're, we're not going to know what to do with ourselves. <laughs> I was Well, how how does that play into it? Because on one hand, I would assume it's nice to get some of the guys rested um, in, in the midst of continuing, obviously, working on the X's and O's and the cardio and all of that. But guys can rest and get healthy and can take care of the academic stuff. But like you said, it changes the schedule, especially after the hectic pace you've been on with all of the cancellations. Yeah, well, we have today off, and we're going to take tomorrow off, maybe just get some light shooting in. Uh, we've got a number of guys that have been in the athletic training room for the last month and a half that we really need to get everybody back healthy. So I think two days off their feet and it will really help us. Coach, first and foremost, before we start continuing this interview, is congratulations on picking up your 200th career win. As you look back at this point in your coaching career, Give, give us some of the highlights, some of the games that really stand out for you um, as you're making your way still forward, obviously, with this season. Boy, that's, that's hard to say. Uh, probably the highlight is I've had a great staff. Uh, Coach Kane has been with me from the beginning. Uh, my assistant, Dan Miller, uh, has been with me for 10 years. So I think we counted up that he was not a part of maybe uh, 13 of those wins, you know, total in, uh, in that 200 run. So when, you're, when you surround yourself with great people like that, uh, that's pretty much the highlight. And now, you know, the texts and the emails from former players that uh, that played for me, I was very fortunate to coach. And now this year having four seniors who are incredible young men. So much fun to be around. Great guys. They're so involved with Concordia's campus that uh, it's been a special year. We've had two guys score the 1,000 points this year. Uh, so we've had a lot of milestones. We were able to, to win the Concordia tournament. Uh, and now a conference championship. So it's it's been just a special year of, of celebrating with this group. So i got to be honest with you, I'm really glad you won based on our conversation for Friday <laughs> and making sure that we, we started the show on a good note. So congratulations on that. I want to go straight to MSOE, though, because now um, this show um, has has given a lot of attention to, to MSOE and the, the success that they've had. But now you guys, um, you're – you're back down to you know to O and O in terms of, of taking this as an opportunity to win the conference tournament. Um, you kind of measure MSOE because from my perspective, you've got two really equal teams. Yes, I, I think we do. Uh, MSOE is an outstanding basketball team. They have uh, Matthew Kermsey, who's going to probably win my vote for Player of the Year. He's an outstanding basketball player and can score from anywhere. They've got depth. We're very similar in that, and then we're going to play 10 guys. And uh, we hope, since we're on opposite sides of the bracket, I hope we meet up on Sunday in a championship game. I think that would be a, be a great uh, representation for the city of Milwaukee. 
we, we split with each other this year, both winning on our home floors in uh, very competitive games. So, yeah, I, I think the two best teams finished in the top two. We've been able to – the both of us have stayed healthy and uh, long enough to keep our keep our uh, teams, you know, over the course of a 20-game conference season, which is an absolute grind. So uh, it's been fun this year. Coach, as we make our way to that postseason tournament, we're talking with head coach Sean Cassidy at Concordia University of Wisconsin. The fact that it came down the way it did and you had to play out – the regular season and win on both sides, whether it's you or MSOE to share that conference championship. Is that something that helps keep your players a bit sharp? I'll say uh, from the mental standpoint, because you've had to focus really game in and game out, not something that necessarily you've locked up weeks ago and could almost coast into the postseason. It was one of those situations on both sides where you guys have had to continue to win in order to receive the kind of recognition that you so rightly deserve after yesterday's game. Oh, absolutely. And it's funny that our last loss was on a night when they lost also. So we thought when we had lost our our last game that that was going to cost us a a chance at this championship. But then they also lost on that night. And so we we both faltered a little uh, struggle on the same evening. So since then... It's been outstanding, just the focus that we've had. But at the same time, when you have four seniors that have started, three of them have started for three years. They've been four-year members of the basketball program. Every day has been a, been a big day for them. They understand every day of practice how hard they need to go and, and how they need to motivate the rest of the team. And we've really put them as a focal point of because they do things right, that this is we're doing it for them, and they've really done a nice job of being leaders on the floor, um, and in practice and in film sessions and in really getting everybody ready for the game that's uh, the next one that we have to that we have to handle coach is there a dynamic involved when you're dealing with seniors like that you know watching yesterday a couple of games that I attended where you're seeing teams that are losing that aren't going to the conference tournament and you realize those seniors are walking off the floor for the last time I'm sure there's a degree of sadness that goes along with the fact that they're collegiate basketball career is coming to a close do some of the guys then put added pressure in trying to win so they can play that next game or win the conference championship so they can go to the national tournament I do you have to wrestle with that fact at all in trying to really rein some of that in and just say relax and go out and do your thing yeah absolutely uh, when you have four guys that have played this long and this long together to manage the emotion uh, and also on the coaching staff, manage the emotion as you as you walk them out to center court for senior day and and you say goodbye to them publicly. That's a that's a hard day, and uh, then you want to play with that emotion and channel it in the right direction. And now knowing that every day we say how thankful we are that this isn't our last day. We we know our last day is coming at some point of playing together and, and just the amount of time that we spend together in team meals and in the meetings. So for them, it's a matter of channeling it into the right direction. Okay, let's just stay focused on the next game. And, and I think our seniors are, are very mature in that regard of, hey, let's handle today. We'll worry about tomorrow, tomorrow. Let's just, let's just worry about today. And, uh, but, yeah, it happens to the coaching staff, too. That, uh, we get choked up when we start thinking about them. So let me ask you then, and this is kind of a, a question regarding culture, but 
you've been very fortunate. You mentioned that you had two 1,000 score, 1,000 point scores this season. Um, recently, uh, not all that long ago, Eric Kittle graduated, which one of your all-time uh, great players. What is it about Concordia, or what is it about the culture of Concordia that continues to bring in these types of players, where they not only excel, but they but they they seem to grow. They seem to just kind of embrace what it is that you're doing on the court and what are you what you're doing off the court that allows them to become better basketball players and just the, the team benefits in general. Well, I think the first thing is our recruiting is that we have to recruit people to Concordia University. It's a very special place. Uh, it's a place that we have very high expectations for our, our student-athletes in the classroom, on the court, on the fields, in the weight room. We have a lot of different activities that involve some community service, so we're recruiting a certain type of person that's, that's going to embrace all of that and, and take in the mission of Concordia first. And then we have you know, the ability to coach and work with these guys every single day and I think that's been who we are as a basketball program and who we've been as a university, that uh, we, we've bought into everything that Concordia is, and then we can be players out of that. And as soon as you find very special, and it's not for everyone, but you find those special guys that, uh, that really want to be a part of this family and the, the basketball community, and they stay around, we have a number of alums that come to all the games, and now our younger players can see the alums coming back and talking with them and texting with them, and, and it's just a continual growth in the family of, of how special we can make this if we, if we make that choice. They finished the regular season 18-7 and seven overall, 16-4 and four in the conference as they co-share the conference championship with MSOE Concordia will be playing next week Saturday downtown Milwaukee at the Kern Center. They have the number two seed, and that game will tip off at 3.30, and their opponent to be determined as the first round will take place this upcoming Wednesday. Coach, best of luck. Going to enjoy calling your game next week Saturday afternoon. So continued success, and we'll see you next week. Thank you very much. I do appreciate you having me on. That's head coach Sean Cassidy from Concordia University of Wisconsin. Time for us to take a break. When we come back, we'll talk to head coach Megan Wilson from the University of Wisconsin-Platteville as the women, the pioneers, get ready for conference tournament play themselves. And we'll get to it all next. It's the College Basketball Show right here on The Fan. Once again, welcome in. It's the College Basketball Show right here on 105.7 FM, The Fan. As we continue to effort trying to get a hold of head coach Megan Wilson from the pioneers of the University of Wisconsin-Platteville, let's take a look at the top 25 and then look at some of the conference tournaments that will be coming up this week. First in the top 25, UW Oshkosh, ranked number three in the country concluding the regular season it's been a great run for Oshkosh lacrosse falls out of the top 25 so they slide into the honorable mention category as well as UW Stevens Point so after Dan the way the hubbub goes with regards to the WEAC and the regular season and how things play out it reminds me a little bit of when we were talking with Eric Haslam uh, a few minutes back when we were doing the whole analytic thing and he was talking about how San Francisco early on in the season kind of crept up into mm -hmm. the national conversation. We saw a number of WEAC teams 
sitting there in the top 25 as the entire season progressed. And all of a sudden, we get to the end of the regular season, and Oshkosh is really the only lone survivor. And, and survivor really isn't the right term because they're number thriving. three in yeah. the country. Yeah, they're, Oshkosh is as good as advertised, and I think you're going to see them make a deep run into the playoffs, regardless of the WEAC tournament. And I, and all due respect to the Titans, there there are just no guarantees when we get into the WEAC tournament that it's 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 an automatic for them because we've seen too many times uh, at this point of the season that things can kind of go topsy turvy a little bit. So Stevens Point still a good team, Lacrosse still a good team. These are and Whitewater is always kind of floating around there. They, these are all teams that can kind of suddenly sneak up on you. But this year, to no surprise, Oshkosh has been uh, the, the cream of the crop in Wisconsin. This is one of those things, Dan, when we get to the WEAC tournament, I'm, I'm kind of, and this is not right to say, and I mean no ill will whatsoever, I'm kind of hoping Oshkosh gets knocked off because that would allow another WEAC team mm-hmm. into the national tournament where I've got to figure UW Oshkosh is going to be an automatic at-large bid, oh, yeah. whether they win yep. the WEAC or not. So I would love to see you know a Whitewater a lacrosse, go ahead and win the tournament and take that automatic bid and then put Oshkosh in at the at-large spot just so it then guarantees two teams just the way the top 25 has panned out as we were just talking about. Oshkosh on the women's side sits at 15. Lacrosse sits at 24 to round out the regular season. But I think the thing that I'm happiest with is we finally got Wisconsin Lutheran College a little bit of credit (laughs) as they move in to the honorable mention (laughs) category at least that team yesterday knocking off Edgewood as they'll finish the season 24 and one I mean what Clay Knepple does on a yearly Mm -hmm. basis over at Wisconsin Lutheran College on the women's side and the fact that they don't get the national publicity that I think they rightly deserve uh I don't know. It's not a scandal. It's nothing more than really a shame because that team has done some really, really good work. And if things play out the way you would project them to play out with the conference, that's a team, again, that will find its way for, what, third, fourth, fifth year in a row headed to the NCAA Division Three tournament. Yeah, it's the nature of the beast of being a D3 team because there are more D3 institutions than there are the other two, uh, D1 or D2. And so, and plus, you don't get the attention that D one gets, and so, you know, it's very difficult for a team like very difficult for a team like Wisconsin Lutheran to jump in and and make um, a claim to being in the top twenty five, no matter how well they play. And it's just a matter of time before they start getting that attention. I think. And you take all of that and you couple it with the fact that they're a small college sitting where they do in the city of Milwaukee. It's just mm-hmm. really hard to get that kind of publicity, that traction. But, again, a team that's playing unbelievable basketball as they won the NACC on the women's side yesterday as they finished the year 24-1. and Orlovsky's telling us we got to take a break here as we work our way to the top of the hour. When we come back, want to talk again about something that just, Dan, as you said earlier, has not gone away and yet hasn't gotten the traction that we thought it would have gotten to, at least at this point. And that's the scandal revolving, evolving and revolving around college basketball with adidas and now nike being thrown into the equation that is not a surprise by the way no and i think there'll be others but Mm -hmm. we'll talk about it next this is the college basketball show right here on 105.7 fm the fan college basketball from division one to division three some of the best college basketball in the country is played right here in wisconsin let's talk about it now with don wachillas this is the college basketball show on sports radio 105.7 fm the fan 
again, welcome in. It's the College Basketball Show right here on 105.7 FM, The Fan. Dan Underberg, the professor on the other side, along with the Polish pipe bomb, Jeff Orlowski here, as he's back there getting his groove on to a little Shalimar as we come out of the break. I think we need to give him permission to just say ooey pooey. Uh, yes, <laughs> yeah, you don't need to buy a vowel. Go ahead. Go ahead and spit it out the way it looks. It, it'll all make sense to everybody who follows college basketball. Guys, we're back at this story again that hasn't seemed to gain necessarily the traction that we thought it would at least to this point, but it hasn't gone away either. And that's the scandal involving Adidas and some of the player payments that first came to the forefront last year where we saw some assistant coaches get fired. We saw some eligibilities be put into question, you name it. And now as we get ready for the trial to begin tomorrow, all of a sudden now we're seeing some other names of some other big companies being thrown about one being Nike, as reported by Yahoo Sports. So, Dan, number one, why do you think this has not gotten the traction that I guess we thought we would see already last year when the story broke? And number two, I already know your answer to this, so I'll preface it and you go ahead and agree or disagree, but I can't believe anybody is surprised that other shoe companies now are starting to see their names being thrown into the mix as these people have gone out and recruited some of these big name players at the division one level. Yeah. I'll start with number two. I'm not surprised it because it's a competitive nature. They want to get their hands on the up and comer and up and coming basketball players. They're going to be make millions of dollars. It can be easily branded. And no company, no shoe company, no apparel company is just going to sit by the side and watch another company uh, find a way to get inroads into these players. So they're they're going. It's it's a little like kind of the NCAA recruiting. If if one coach does, another coach is going to do it, and it's just going to kind of pick up that way. So, yeah, we had talked about that probably. Man, was it a year ago? Yeah, Feels it's, that way. it's been at least a year. Yeah, it's just one of those things where well, you were you know off the air like, well, where are the other companies? Because right. it can't just be Adidas. You know, so that that's one thing. The other one, you know, why, you know, why hasn't this gained any traction? I think number one, um, these programs are a really good at deflecting. I think number two, they've had plenty of time to prep. I think number three, it's 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 a complicated story. There's no easily identifiable good guy or bad guy in this. See, and that's the part for me that it. it, it I don't want to say it's troublesome, but I thought. The fact that it was cut and dry. You, you've got a few guys out here who have passed money along, at least according to sure. the indictment, allegedly have passed money along in order to help certain players go to certain schools. And so to have the villain and the good guy, bad guy type thing, I think it's already in place. Now, Kansas, Louisville, Miami, and NC State were named in the indictment. And yet, according to ESPN, you're looking at Arizona, Creighton, DePaul, LSU, Maryland, and Michigan State, who were all involved as well in trying to recruit said players that are listed in the indictment, which is one of the reasons why many uh, are believing this is going to expand at a quicker pace than I think what hopefully, as you just said, those schools thought maybe as they try to run the PR gamut and not put themselves in that particular situation. And then on Friday, Yahoo Sports released some text messages from the indictment between Bill Self of Kansas 
and the alleged perpetrator with Adidas as far as the recruitment thing goes. And I got to believe other coaches now are getting a little bit nervous because you know those things existed. You know, regardless of whether they had a burner account or not, text messages between said people at shoe company and them as far as this recruitment process went, they exist. And one thing we know about the federal government, you can have all the burner accounts you want. You can have all the throwaway (laughs) phones you want. If you've texted something, they're going to have the ability to retract it, find it, see where it's at, and use it against you in a case like this as far as tampering goes and trying to bring bring, players into the fold. Yeah, I mean, the federal government does not go to this process without believing they have at least an 80% chance of closing the deal. They, they, and, and the actual, their actual track record, I think, is above 90% in terms of, of getting uh, a conviction once they've started this process. So it's pretty clear that the feds know that they're onto something, have something. I, I think from, I, I look at this kind of from the um, perspective of, of you know, the court of public opinion. I, part of the reason it's not getting any traction is, A, again, it's taken so long to get here. Number two, I, have we reached kind of a point where, yawn, it's just another day in college basketball, you know, where we've just kind of thought to ourselves, yeah, someone's getting paid to go to a particular program, and what else is new? I don't know that, I don't know that this particular story kind of, kind of being in a Kardashian kind of society where if it's not, if it's not about, Forgive me for being candid, but if it's not about who's sleeping with who or kind of something a little bit more trivial, but it's we're kind of like, well, okay, and sports moves on. I don't know that this is the thing that the general population is really going to gravitate it to anymore. And pipe bomb, what, what Dan just said seems to be par for the course in that we've seen so much from the scandal side, whether it's sports, whether it's politics, whether you name it. It's like every day there seems to be a new scandal. Whereas if you would have taken this story 10 years ago, I don't think it goes away as quickly as it has or gets buried as quickly as it has been with the fact that we have just found ourselves a society in which every day seems to bring about another scandal, some more questions as to the reliability and the viability of whatever agency you want to throw in. I think that could be one of the reasons why it hasn't gotten attraction. It should have. I agree 100%. You know, first, let me just say I'm shocked that there's <laughs> there's scandal in the NCAA. I just, I can't believe it. It shakes me to my foundation. Uh, but that said, you know, you're 1,000% right. Everywhere you turn, there's a scandal. There's a new outrage daily. You know, you check Twitter in the morning to find out what you're supposed to be mad about that day. Uh, you know, there's scandals, and then half the time, like uh, with that actor, and now it's saying maybe he set himself up to get beat up and stuff like that. So there's fake scandals, there's real scandals, there's just scandals everywhere. Everybody's numb now. You know, yeah, I think too. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, especially when it's something with the NCAA, you know, unless you're a two year old, no one's shocked. And so you just kind of get numb to it after a while, and it's not a big deal. And I think with that, though, if you start to look at what's being reported, I think there still is, I'm sorry, a level of shock when you see the abrasiveness as to – I think we we can all agree that because of the nature of the game, 
there is a certain level of whatever you want to call it happening at every university. How blatant, how in your face it is, that probably is what ends up being argued, not whether or not people are following um, the guidelines, so to speak. So with that said, according to ESPN.com today on their website, they're talking about the fact that DePaul may have offered in excess of $200,000 to bring one of these players over to the university. It also looks at the way some of these universities then go out and hire some of the assistant coaches that are close mm -hmm. to some of these top recruits in nothing order, new. In order yeah. to lure in, which is nothing new. But sometimes I think in the midst of what Jeff was just describing that happens to us now with social media on a daily basis – we forget that this stuff does take place and to the level again at which it does, then it, it becomes concerning because then how do you, how do you rein this all back in without creating a whole nother level of rules and regulations, right. which the NCA has already done to the point of nausea. When you look at probably the the rack the bookcase of binders and books that are the NCA rules and regulations in which schools are supposed to follow you can't look at this and say let's add another let's add another let at some point you would think that the NCA has to back up blow the whole thing up from a rules perspective and really start over and find a way to make this more manageable yeah, so a little side story. Uh, this past week I had the opportunity to take a group of students down to the Big Ten Conference um, headquarters, take a tour, all that fun stuff, and we met some people there. And during our conversation we had an opportunity, um, I'm not going to say the name, individual walked in and dropped the, the, the rule book for the NCAA guidelines in terms of recruiting and stuff like that. And I, I – I'm not kidding. It's this thick. It's 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 inches thick. You uh, know? Dan, we're on yeah. the radio, so yeah, it's, give, it's, give a it's, number. It's, um, <laughs> take, um, yeah, we'll call that we'll call that four inches. All right, okay. there you go. So, <laughs> so you count inches up. like I do. <laughs> so so, anyways, we sit there and and they're they're talking about all the challenges as it relates to recruiting. You know, and again, this is the speaking from a Big Ten perspective and how they approach it and doing those things and then how they have to work with the NCAA. And what really for me came out of the conversation is is there's going to be a push because you can't control this. It's become so difficult. When when do we start going in the other direction where we just start deregulating instead of adding more rules and 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 things just have to be opened up a little bit because it's getting it's getting to the point where you can't figure out how to manage this and how to police this. It's become too complicated with social media. It's become too complicated with texting. It's become too complicated with technology. And then trying to follow the ins and outs of where money's going and stuff like that has become very difficult. The NCAA is in this very difficult place that to a degree it kind of put itself into by regulating and regulating and regulating. And the process is, is that, okay, well, we will find another way for this water to flow until we, can, we, we get to where we want to go. And I think this is this is how they're kind of headed right now, which is, well, then we will use this system to bring in this player to do it. And I, there's no simple solution to this, guys, but I, it's pretty clear to me that the, the NCAA just does not have the ability to keep up. It can't manage this. So is but it a I, new conference system? Is it how, how do we fix it? I don't know. But, Dan, I don't think it's – their inability to keep up. I think it goes back to what you had just said. It was the ability to overregulate. 
I think they've because of the way things have occurred. You have your rule, then now we put this subset and this subset right. and this mm-hmm. subset. But what ends up happening is it contradicts. You know, if I'm talking about rule number one, it's now contradicting rule number eight. Right. So if I'm reading rule number eight and I'm following it, suddenly somebody from the NCA compliance company is coming in and saying, "Yeah, but you forgot one subset B slash whatever, and you're missing that, and now you've become a, a school that needs to be looked at, investigated, whatever the case may be. It's why I really believe that the NCA, and I don't know how you do this, within a year's time because you would really have to look at the end of basketball season since that's what we're talking about this year with the tournament's conclusion and finding a way then to just take all of those rules and regulations and theoretically blow them up and start over to make some things a little bit more clear cut because I'll tell you what yesterday or or Friday night excuse me I'm looking at the tiebreaker scenarios for some of the difference the different conference championships that are taking place you need at least a law degree to figure it out. <laughs> yeah, but you guys are still going way too easy on the NCAA. Yes, it is over-regulation, but it's over-regulation while at the same time bending over and giving the Power Five conferences all the power over all the schools. You know, and it's it's more pronounced in football right now than it is in basketball, but it's still the same thing where, you know, the mid-majors and everything like that, everybody complains because you get the eighth team out of the, you know, the ACC into the tournament, and there's worthy conferences from lesser-known schools that are getting passed up, and it's all because the big Power Five conferences have all the power in the NCAA. Which always then goes back to money. And isn't this the basis of where we started our conversation a few minutes ago? It's the fact that money is being used to now bring in players, and they become the pawn in this whole thing. Whatever the NCAA has to do, I think at some point it's got to embrace at a greater degree the amount of money that's being floated around with the Power Five, with the schools themselves, with the players, whatever the case may be, and find a way to keep amateur athletics amateur but embrace the fact that there is money being manipulated in and around all levels, and how then do we best manage that? I think the disruption, you know, is not going to come from inside the NCAA. It's going to have to come from the outside. The the NCAA, any organization is designed to survive, and they will eat it, eat itself up alive in order to survive. So it's not it's not any significant change to the NCAA is not going to be come because the NCAA said, well, we need to make this change in order to do it. It's going to have to come from the outside. Does the Power Five, do schools from the Power Five just decide to say, nope, no more NCAA? You stay there, but we're going to create our own version of this. We're going to create our own rules. Is it going to be some some other, you know, FBI probe or Treasury probe or something like that? What I What I do believe is that, you know, the NCAA, based on the way it's set up, it's 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 not just a fact that there's a building in Indianapolis. They've got to get approval from conference commissioners and and university presidents and now the ADs and stuff like that. And getting those people all in the same room and agreeing to one same thing is is virtually impossible. Okay. So whatever's going to happen, it's got to come from the outside of that system. And because it's virtually impossible by its current organizational standards. That's again another indication to me that you gotta you gotta blow it up and do something else. 
And I, I understand completely with your, what you're saying, mm-hmm. but then you've got to figure out, again, a way to simplify the process. And I know that's easier said than done, but when you've got too many tentacles flying all over the place, how do you then rein that all in in order to make a decision, which you just described as something that's tenable that can't be done? Just just based on the current status of mm-hmm. the way things are, you can't make a sound decision because you've got too many factors that come into play. So again, blow the thing up, start over, figure out how we're going to do this, figure out how to simplify the process instead of adding another volume to your rule book shelf, the way things exist and make it even more complicated, which then anytime, and correct me if I'm wrong, anytime you add, you create another loophole. Oh, you sure do. Yeah. And it's just like anybody who does something on the internet, somebody's out there trying to figure out a way to get around whatever firewall you've developed. Well, anytime you add another rule, somebody's out there trying to figure out what the loophole is that they can get around and then circumvent it in order to bring said player in, in this case, for said amount of money. Yeah, but there's a benefit to cheating. You saw how... No, he's right. Yeah. How the slap on the wrist was so weak for the fake classes at North Carolina. Mm -hmm. You talk about the schools that you just mentioned, Don, with Kansas and some of these powerhouses. Was anybody going to be shocked when the only school that receives punishment in this thing is poor little DePaul in Chicago that about 12 people care about? Because that's who's going to get the hammer brought down on them. It's not going to be Kansas. It's not going to be the schools bringing in money for the NCAA. It's going to be, well, no one gives a a crap about DePaul. Stick it to them. And we'll sit there and push it off on them. And the rich get richer. And, you know, we move on. It'll be it'll be a school like DePaul, or it'll be a Division One school who really hasn't been relevant as far as the game of basketball has been for who knows how many years. Yep. So they can still pound their chest and say, "Yes, look what we've done." We got to take a break. Orlowski's giving me the sign there. When we come back, we'll pick up and conclude this conversation because I see Underberg over there rocking in his chair. <laughs> He's got something he wants to add to it. So let's finish the conversation on the other side. Let's talk about some of the conference tournaments that are already getting ready to start this week. And we've got a final score relevant for us here in the city as the Marquette women. They beat Seton Hall 109-63. to Seton Hall, I'm sorry you had to play Marquette after a loss, but that's what happens when Carolyn Keeger rolls that team <laughs> into your gym. So we'll talk about all that stuff next. It's the College Basketball Show right here on 105.7 FM, The Fan. Thanks for letting me pick the music today, Don. <laughs> it's the pipe bomb edition of the college basketball <laughs> show right here on 7 FM, the fan. <laughs> yeah, you, how did you know I had a new edition tattoo on my arm? Oh, it's, it's, wow. It's that new edition Bobby Brown button on your sleeve, as LL Cool J once said. I could tell coming in with that. Don Wachulis alongside the professor, Dan Underberg, and the Polish pipe bomb is sitting behind the table pushing all the buttons to get us through these two hours here on the college basketball show. So Dan, let's wrap up our conversation from the last segment. And I think we, we kind of summed it up uh, during the break. And, and that's the fact that as we see on the professional level, more and more owners balking necessarily at spending the, the six, seven, eight, nine figure 
contracts on some of these free agents that we're seeing and people raising holy you-know-what over it, Mm -hmm. we're going to almost need to see that at the collegiate level where teams that you necessarily wouldn't expect to win are going to win because they're not necessarily getting that five-star recruit. They're getting a bunch of three- and four-star recruits that they're able to meld together and win a championship with that as opposed to just going out and signing the big ones and duns and hoping that they would get them to the national championship. Yeah, it's so interesting because this we've got two things kind of coming together. We were talking about uh, Diamond Stone and Henry Ellenson earlier and about what would have happened had they stayed longer. And now we're talking about this this concept of the, the conversation got started off air when we were talking about baseball and the, the um, free agents that are out there still not being signed. Is there collusion? Is there not collusion? My perspective is, is that there is not collusion because owners are getting kind of a better sense of, of what they actually want to spend per player, and they're seeing successes from other teams that are not blasting the cap to hell to be able to win. And it kind of took us to a point of, you know, at some point basketball is going to have to evolve, particularly in the NCAA, where it's it, we get past this point and it's, it's, it's really come back to, watching teams succeed that are not spending all this money, like you said, and getting players like Diamond Stone and Henry Ellenson, finding a way to get them to stay for the three or four years that they can so they can evolve. And kind of like Wisconsin did, man, was it 2015, 2016? I don't even remember anymore. Right. Where they were were generally a senior-dominated team, um, probably three, four-star recruits at best, when they pulled them in, got them in the system, and it worked. And that may be the place where the NCAA, at least the teams within the NCAA, finally start to see some evolution or some change. But right now, they're they're not there. Well, it goes back to Loyola last year. Yeah, who yeah, made that great example? Run great example with some upperclassmen on board. And if mm-hmm. you can get that, but it's got to be done more consistently. Right. And some of those teams, like Loyola, can't just be the once every twenty years. Like we hit last year. And maybe it's not this year, but maybe it's next year we're back up there again. There has to be more consistency to make it relevant for all of those other big-name schools to buy into the idea, I guess, that we're pitching right now. I mean, if if we constantly see a Loyola that only gets in there once every 20, 30, 40 years, the change that we're looking at just isn't going to take place. But if we could get one of those teams to do it on a consistent basis – then I think you got a you you got a better chance of seeing some of the change that we're talking about. Yeah, and it's not just going to be a Loyola. I mean, that's your example, and it's a great example. But we tend every year we we fall in love with a Florida Gulf Coast, yeah, Florida, you know, um, uh, Maryland, Baltimore County, uh, Loyola, and some of the uh, George Mason from a few years, few years ago. And it's it's you're right. It has to be more of a sustained approach, more of a, a more of an organic approach by. The recruiting philosophy of the head coach that we this is what we're going to do, and this is how we're going to get our guys. Kind of what Sean Cassidy said earlier. Yeah. We're recruiting Concordia guys. They have to want to be here. They have to they have to want to be a part of this culture, and they grow from there. But they start with bringing in the right guys. And if you're bringing in guys, the only reason they're coming to the year program is because they got hundred thousand dollars or fifty grand, and it went in different areas. That that's not sustainable. Can I do an aside note before we move yeah, on go. to the conference tournament? You brought up George Mason. I still have nightmares going to that Final Four. And if I heard that collegiate band one more time 
play Bon Jovi's were halfway there during that game, I was going to jump out of the upper deck. <laughs> uh, that is, that's one of those when something like that gets overplayed and you hear it, it's like immediately, get that off the radio. I don't want to listen to that yeah. anymore. All right, let's go through some of the conference tournaments because we got a lot of college basketball that's going to be taking place this week. Obviously, Wisconsin and Marquette getting back into the swing of things here starting tomorrow. But at the Division Three level, all the conference tournaments are getting underway. First, the WEAC men. Whitewater will be at Platteville. That will take place this Tuesday. Eau Claire will be at Stevens Point. That's a Tuesday night game as well. Both of those take place at 7 o'clock. And then they will, depending on where the lowest and highest seed uh, win out of that opening round, they'll travel to Oshkosh and then Lacrosse, And then the final will be played at the highest bid, which many will believe it will be at Oshkosh the way they've played mm-hmm. this year. On the women's side, it'll be Point at Lacrosse, Platteville at Stout. Those games to take place on Wednesday. The championship for the WEAC on the women's side will be taking place on Sunday, February 24th. Let's jump right to the NACC. We talked, as you said, Dan, to head coach Sean Cassidy as they'll be next week Saturday playing at MSOE. They'll be downtown at the Kern Center as they'll be waiting uh, an opening round matchup, which will take place, I believe they're set to take place on Wednesday. Edgewood will play Aurora Rockville, Rockford, excuse me, will play Illinois Tech. And then depending on how the seating goes, you get games against MSOE and games against Concordia University of Wisconsin. So that's happening. And then over on the women's side, as Wisconsin Lutheran College will eventually be the host, MSOE will go to Concordia of Wisconsin for an opening round matchup. Aurora will be at Dominican, and then we'll see those seeds, dependent upon who wins those games, Lakeland and Wisconsin Lutheran will also be hosting then that Final Four. (gasps) Breathe if you can there after trying to get that all out. But I guess push, push comes to shove right now with the fact that we've had a bit of time off from Division I basketball, as we said with Marquette and Wisconsin, the Division Three teams are really starting to heat up because by next week, as we get to that Monday, a week from tomorrow, we're going to start to see the announcements with regards to the NCAA Division Three tournament. Mm-hmm. And so we could have definitely some teams from the area headed to the national level like Oshkosh. But then you look at teams like Wisconsin Lutheran or Concordia University of Wisconsin or MSOE or some of these other programs – You've got to win your conference tournament to get that automatic bid. And then one more to get to, a game that will take place at Cardinal Stritch on Wednesday night at 7 as the women at Cardinal Stritch University have co-championed the CCAC. Uh, We got to laugh because head coach John Foffel, one of our friends of the show, (laughs) just – just it was the demise of the program when you talked to him earlier in the year, and that team went on a on an incredible Hi, run. Yeah, I'll be waiting for the text to come momentarily. But that team, not listening. yeah, that's true. Um, that team went on an incredible run, and that was a team right. in watching Dan throughout the season again, like we've seen other Division three teams, to watch that team grow and meld together and gain their confidence, where they've had one or two players like. At Cardinal Stritch, Kelly Shrouth had an unbelievable senior season. 
um, all of a sudden you start to see some other players gaining confidence. And then as they gain confidence, you saw the winning just occurring on a more consistent basis. And before you know it, there's a team now that's co-champion the regular season on the women's side within the CCAC. Yeah, I'm going to go back to what you're saying. Um, a while ago, probably two, three weeks ago, our friend Eric Haslam put out a tweet that said, you know, people are starting to predict. He said, wait a minute. There's a whole half of a season left to go. We don't know how this is going to turn out. That's a great point. You know, and so here we are, you know, having some fun with Faf and, and talking about some other things where the season starts out and we have our expectations, but we really don't know. And we the season works its way out. Yep. And so here we are, and then we walk into the tournament again, and we're kind of back to where we began. It's like we we have a good idea now, but we, we're not really sure what's going to happen. You know, all, all these things can kind of come to play. One of the things I want to do really quick is to all these coaches and all these teams that are within earshot of this show, you know, what an incredible job that they have done over the last two weeks dealing with the absolutely crapalicious weather that we've had here and trying to make something out of nothing when it comes to a game has been canceled. What does it do with our our practice schedule? You know, Sean Cassidy said we had – was a three games in four days, some ridiculous amount of things that you're not used to, and it really changes it up. And if, if you don't have legs and you're playing your third game in four, in four days, that can really impact your performance, and that could impact how you end up in the conference tournament. So whatever you guys have done to manage and survive, well done. And not only that, what you just said, but think of somebody like Concordia University of Wisconsin, MSOE, that have been neck and neck now throughout the latter mm-hmm. half of the regular season that you couldn't necessarily afford a loss. You know, as Coach Cassidy said, we lost a game. We figured that was going to be it. And then, lo and behold, MSOE also loses on that given night. And we're still neck and neck. And yet we've got to juggle the fact that we've got to play a couple of games here within, you know, a three- or four-day stretch that we're not used to doing and yeah, to, to your point, Dan, congratulations to all of those teams for being able to not only juggle the logistics of it, but also to manage your team and keep yep. them prepared in order to make that stretch run. One other team that we want to uh, talk about real quick before we get to break and give them some props, and that's Baby Tausch's alma mater at Carroll. The Pioneers coming in with a number five seed. They'll be at Illinois Wesleyan to open up conference tournament play. Their conference tournament play will begin Tuesday, February 19th. And that's a team we haven't really had an opportunity to speak much about, but doing very well within the CCIW. So congratulations to them as they make their way into the conference tournament. Time for us to take a break. When we come back, let's talk Marquette, both men and women. Let's talk Wisconsin, because before you know it, The pipe bomb is here, and it'll be time to shovel the funk. But we'll get to it all next. This is the College Basketball Show right here on 105.7 FM, The Fan. Once again, welcome in. It's the College Basketball Show. Don Wachillis along with the professor, Dan Underberg. Polish pipe bomb on the ones and twos bringing you back in with, I mean, I fight with Jeff every <laughs> single week about the music, the bumper music, and I always lose. So We're just trying to stay fly here. <laughs> just trying to stay fly. You know how we do, Don. Hashtag sarcasm from the pipe bomb. All right, guys. 
Listen, we've got Marquette, the women again, a 109-63 victory this afternoon. They ranked number eight in the country. Natisha Heideman with 34. And I, I almost feel bad for Seton Hall after St. John. What is it with St. John's? St. John's right. on Friday night mm-hmm. beats the women and hands them only their second first loss in conference play. I, I just – can we stay away from St. John's? <laughs> I don't want to see St. John's in the conference tournament. I don't want to see him once we get into the national tournament. But you had to figure Seton Hall. I mean, 14 and 12, respectable years sitting there around 500. But you had to know head coach Carolyn Keeger was going to have the women ready. Oh, yeah. And just irritated the fact that they <laughs> dropped one to St. John's. So our, our sympathies to Seton Hall because you ran into a buzzsaw today. But Marquette and Wisconsin get back on the hardwood this week. We'll start with Wisconsin because they're at it first as they will be back at it tomorrow against Illinois at home. Now we get to stretch run, Dan, and this is where we're going to have to see this team start to put it together because in the games against Michigan State that they lost, the game against Michigan that they lost – The scores, I don't think, necessarily replicate what was taking place during the game. But what it does show, once again, is that Wisconsin goes in these scoring droughts. And if you're going to rely on your defense the way they do, teams like Michigan and Michigan State are going to find ways to score. Maybe not at the pace they normally do, but they're still going to find a way to score. You're going to have to answer on the offensive end. Yeah, I think anybody could have looked at Wisconsin's schedule you know, when the season started, looked at this week and said, man, I will be lucky to walk out of here one-on-one because that, that's just kind of a gauntlet going, going up against those two teams. Yeah, Wisconsin did not lose its opportunity at a Big Ten championship because of these two losses. They lost that in January when they when they went you know, they lost three or four. That's right. that's when they lost it. Yeah. And, you know, this is not a Wisconsin Badger team that has the defensive stoutness that they did, you know, 2015, 2016, around there, where you, where you had some monsters underneath that, that could really defend the hoop. Uh, this one is is a little bit softer, and if they're, if they're going to do it again, I'm going to go back to the guard play. They have to be able to prevent the ball from getting inside, underneath, and that's going to start from really putting pressure on the ones and twos from the other team. Now, agreeing with, with Haslam for a little bit, these teams are beatable. You know, Wisconsin should be able to walk in there and be very competitive. They, there, there is an opportunity for them to, you know, run the table and, and really get some nice, uh, what do you want to call it, some headway into the, the Big Ten tournament. But, it, yeah, this is, this is not a team where, I, again, with Eric a little bit, like if they get through the first round of the NCAA tournament, I'm I'm pleasantly surprised. We're dealing with house money at that point. I'm just oh, happy that they're still going. We said a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about, you know, people now getting very happy and excited about mm-hmm. Marquette. I thought if again Wisconsin gets to the Sweet 16 game, not necessarily having to win it, just get gets there. there. Get yeah. to weekend number 2 as you just said. I think that's a huge accomplishment this year for and they this can. Badger team. They, they can could. do it, but they're, they haven't shown the continuity consistency yet. You've got to be able, again, to play the consistency on the defensive end like they have, but you've got to be able to score. You just have to. I mean, you can't go in these in these stretches where you're in a drought for five, six, seven, eight minutes and expect other teams of, of good caliber not to be able to score. Again, maybe not at their normal pace, but they are going to put the ball in the basket. So Wisconsin's at home against Illinois. Then they're on the road at Northwestern, then at Indiana, home against Penn State, 
home against Iowa, on the road to finish out the regular season against Ohio State. And of all of those games, the only one that I look at that should be any sort of a challenge is Iowa, but you're at least getting Iowa at home. So to go 6-0, and to run the table down the stretch here, as you said, Dan, it, it's feasible. It, it's something they should be able to do. As Jeff is over there shaking his head like, <laughs> you guys are drinking the Kool-Aid again. Go ahead, Tomorrow Jeff. Tomorrow is no cupcake against Illinois. Illinois just went to Ohio State and picked up a nice win. So, you know, I wouldn't sit there and I don't see Wisconsin just rolling over the Illini. No? No. <laughs> no. I could so, I could I'm tell. the only one that isn't scared by Indiana where we could just go down there and just – smell up the house because of how bad the Hoosiers are playing right now? Because that's that's a game I see Wisconsin losing. You expect them to go down and win? Yeah. And Indiana decide it, it'll be our luck. It'll be senior day down there, and they'll just light it up, you know? Uh, it's yeah, the they same shoot thing with like Ohio 65 State. from three or something like yeah, that. Right. Yeah, where they, just, they have themselves. All right. Thanks. Thanks once again. <laughs> hey, I didn't mean to rain on your parade. It's you the know. voice of reason, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> they call him the pipe bomb. All right, let's talk Marquette. Marquette gets back at it Wednesday. They're at home against Butler, then on the road against Providence, on the road against Villanova, at home against Creighton. I'm looking at this Marquette schedule, and I'm a little bit more intimidated than I am looking at the Big Ten schedule for Wisconsin. And yet this team, being Marquette, has found a way to really roll through the Big East. So when you look at that game against Villanova as – a retaliation game, so to speak, after we stole one from them here at the serve, That's the game, really, that stands out. But you can't look past Butler. You can't look past Providence. The Big East, yeah, not what it has been in the past, but still the matchups, I think, give Marquette a bit of a headache going down the final stretch here. Well, I think they do too, but I think that the great delineating factor is Marcus Howard where he can just kind of flip on a switch and start scoring and, and again, can't be defended. I have no issue with splitting a season series with Villanova. I think I think that's no. fine. You know, uh, the other ones, yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I don't think there's a cupcake in that schedule because of just, just the nature of, of Marquette can kind of fall asleep from time to time too. We've seen that happen, but in this case, I have more faith in in the Golden Eagles' depth of bench and, and kind of the athleticism they have to kind of overcome some slow starts, which they have had. So hopefully if they can get past that, they'll be okay. All right, so Marquette and Wisconsin once again getting back at it this week. Wisconsin first. They take on Illinois tomorrow night. It's, it's Wisconsin. It's Marquette against Butler at the Pfizer Forum on Wednesday as they make that final push through the regular season and start to make their way towards postseason tournament time in Division I basketball. Time for us to take our last break of the day. When we come back, hold on to your seats. Here we go. Pipe bomb is back. (laughs) It is time to shovel the funk. We'll do it next. This is the College Basketball Show right here on 105.7 FM, The Fan. You know what? I'm going to shovel the funk. I'm going to shovel the funk. Once again, welcome in. It's the final segment of the College Basketball Show. Shovel the Funk is being brought to you by Americana Apparel. Whether you need t-shirts for an upcoming event or team jerseys and gear, Americana Apparel has you covered 
Owner Jim Van Acker will provide you with unparalleled quality and service for all your custom silk screening and embroidery needs. You can check them out at their website at Americana Apparel, LLC.com. Americana Apparel, the official outfitters of the College Basketball Show. All right, pipe bomb. Welcome back. Hello. Time to shovel. Go get them, sir. All right. My shovel goes to Indiana. I root against uh, Indiana in basketball like I root against Notre Dame in college football. They flat out suck. And because of their suckness, not only are they going to miss the big tournament, they might miss the NIT. Such glorious news. <laughs> now, go back. As yeah. we said earlier, how did Marquette lose to them? I have no idea. Considering the season... The Golden Eagles have had how they lost to that Indiana team early on, and I get it was early on. They were they were figuring life out, so to speak. But boy, that just Crazy. does not look How's good that on the program resume. Just sunk. Yeah, I yeah. mean, just yeah. so bad. It's awesome, isn't it? Amazing how some perennial <laughs> powerhouses like that, though. Once the bottom drops out, how hard it is to kind of climb mm -hmm. back up the ladder. All right, Professor, go. Well, I'm going to go in a completely different direction off grid. Right now, this time of the season, uh, might be the most valuable person on these teams and on these programs are going to be the athletic trainers. If you consider everything that they've had to go through and everything you know, they've had to get their teams ready for, uh, a lot of guys are sore, a lot of guys are beat up, and the women too, obviously. So to the athletic trainers at these these AD programs, um, well done because you're a group of people that do not get the attention that you deserve. And now that we're wrapping up and getting into tournament time, you're just as important as anybody on that team. So All right. well done. I got two. One would be my normal shovel, but one I got to do in honor of our friend behind the table over there as the pipe bomb joins us once again here for today's college basketball show. First, my shovel I'm going to give to the Marquette women's program, ranked number eight in the country. Great bounce back win today <laughs> as they took care of Seton Hall, <laughs> 109 to 63. There was no doubt about there was a little uh, a little anger in that game. My other shovel in honor of the pipe bomb goes to Chris Beard, the head coach at Texas Tech, who absolutely lost his mind yesterday when two walk-ons did an alley-oop. They're walk-ons, for goodness sake. Let them have their moment. Yep. Do you know when the next time they're going to actually see the hardwood outside of practice and the fact that they got to alley-oop? That's a memory that will live them forever. Chris Beard, go away. <laughs> just whatever all right want to thank our guest today eric haslam from haslametrics and head coach of concordia university of wisconsin sean cassidy for joining us want to thank them for their time next week it's going to be all about conference tournament play at the ncaa division three level as well as the fact that marquette and wisconsin will be back on the hardwood for the professor dan underberg and the polish pipe bomb jeff orlowski I'm Don Wachos. Thank you so much for listening today. Have yourself a great week. We're back in 6 and 22. Take care. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.